Welcome to Warplecast. Today on the show, we're talking to Stuart Jaffe, best known for his independently published books, the Max Porter series. Without further ado, please enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Stuart Jaffe, to, to uh, our inaugural uh, podcast for uh, Whirlpool. Um, uh, you, you were one of the first people to uh, be open to this notion of experiences for fans based on where, wherever you are uh, in the world. And, and uh, we said, why don't we try starting a podcast with, with yourself and uh, learn more about you? Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's uh, So far, everything I've been doing with you guys has been so cool, and I'm really hoping it uh, takes off so that we can do a lot with it. So your, your background is interesting. You, I, I read that you were into big into uh, martial arts uh, uh, earlier on in your career, and there was an injury. Did that, did that sort of spur your interest into getting into writing, and, and how did the writing um, oh no! I've been writing a long time before that. I've been writing for almost twenty years. Um, I started uh, my undergraduate degree is in theater, uh, with a mostly with a concentration in directing. I was going to go out and well, I did try and go out and do the Hollywood thing and and uh, be a direct, uh, film director. And in that process, I started writing plays, and writing plays led to writing short stories. And uh, the year after I graduated, uh, I stayed in the town that my university was in. And uh, friends of mine and I, we started a small theater company and were writing plays for that. And in, during that time period, I thought to myself, I wonder if I can write a novel. And it wasn't, I wasn't thinking commercially or a career or anything. I just wanted to know. I just thought maybe I can do this. And I figured if I can just write one page a day which is only 250 words it's not that much uh if i did that every day for a year at the end of the year i'd have 365 pages and hopefully it might actually be a cohesive story and i'd have written a novel so i did that and a year later i finished my first novel which like everybody's first novel was utter crap because you don't know what you're doing but I discovered that I could write a whole novel. It's it, it before you've ever written one, it seems like this enormous mountain. And then it's a case where you've now climbed to the peak of the mountain and you see all these other mountains that you didn't know about. And though now you want to go climb those and it just started rolling from there. And, uh, I spent about 10 years doing sh mostly short stories to really learn my craft and, uh, getting published in magazines and anthologies and then started doing novels and back in that that time period ebooks didn't exist the indie movement didn't exist you had to have an agent you had to go through traditional publishing so i went that route and uh eventually hit a wall wh where i had an agent everything of mine was going to the top editors of the top publishers and they were all coming back saying wow we love stewart we love his writing we love his characters we love his stories love 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 we're not going to buy it over and over and over uh, which is sadly not an uncommon thing to happen and uh, it took me a long time to decipher that but i ended up realizing that it meant i'm writing at a professional level and i'm writing good quality stuff but they didn't think they could sell enough copies within their economics that they needed to to use to make it worthwhile uh 
And uh, I reached a point where I almost, I was thinking, well, maybe this is as far as I go and I should quit and all that. And right around that time, uh, viable ebook readers became a thing. The Kindle came out and uh, it all just took off. And I dipped my toe in there, fell in love with the with it. And, dis- and because of the different economics that exist for indie writers, I realized that I don't have to sell 80,000 copies, which a major publisher has to in order to break even. I have to sell like a quarter of that to make the same amount of money. And even if I sell less than that, I'm still making tons more than I ever did. And I might be able to, maybe I won't be able to live just on my writing, but it could pay the mortgage. And, you know, and so I started going with that and it just kept growing from there. And, uh, and I've never really looked back. It was just the greatest thing. I love it. Now, did you have, uh, so, so you mentioned Kindle and, and the, the rise of the ebook and, and having, I guess, the self-publisher uh, route. Did you have, uh, by this point, other writers around you or, or was it just solo? And, you, and, and that was the single external validation? Oh, no. I, well, again, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing the convention circuit. So I knew, you know, I, I knew plenty of writers, editors, agents. I, you know, I was well... Uh, invested in in that world and in fact when i went when i decided to go indie you have to understand that up until just a few years ago going indie was a really ugly thing to do it was an ugly word uh it was considered the where you go if you can't make it and uh, and so i i I wouldn't say I lost friends. I, I temporarily lost friends. We're all friends again now. But when it happened, they were really there were there were other writers who were very upset with me. Um, thankfully, the indie community, which had already realized what a great thing this is and and how it's not what it used to be, but is actually professionals trying to create professional work, um, they welcomed me, and so I made new friends. And then, as the industry has changed over the last six seven years many of the people who were uh you know who did not approve of the indie movement are now finding themselves in positions where they either want to or have to uh go that route because the traditional route is just closing up tighter and tighter every year Hmm. and and so you the 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 one page a day you continued in in that vein and and perhaps maybe two pages a day because one of the things that's obvious from reading your bio is you, you, you write, uh, you publish frequently, you know, you're, yes. you're being a self publisher, you publish frequently and you're quite big into the series. I believe your latest is Southern flames, the Max Porter series. And, and I see book 10. Yep. That's right. How do you get to book 10? And, and you have multiple series. I have, yeah, I have multiple series. Um, that's more of a personal choice. If I I have about thirty or forty books out at the moment, and if I had made them all Max Porter, because Max Porter is my best selling series by far, mm-hmm. um, any given month over half my income is that series. So if all forty books were Max Porter series, I'd be making a lot more money than I'm making right now. But I'd also be artistically brain dead. Mm. So I made that choice to have these other series. So I write one book in, I just, as you pointed out, put out Southern Flames. I'm in the middle of uh, 
finishing up, uh, actually finished the, the rough of it of the next Nathan K book. I have other series that go on and I just cycle through them and occasionally do one-offs with uh, another, a co-author or on my own, uh, just to keep myself fresh and excited. Because if I'm jaded about what I'm writing, it, eventually the readers will realize it and they will move on. And I don't want that. I want them to stay with me. Um, I do write a lot more than one page a day. That was when I was getting started. Uh, last year, I put out six novels. They're not huge novels. I don't write, you know, 120,000 word epics. I, uh, most of my books tend to be anywhere from uh, 60 to 80,000 words, depending on, on the series. And I, I write, I know it looks like I write a lot, but I only write about uh, 2,000 words a day when I'm in the middle of a novel. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not, or when I'm prepping one or whatever, I some days I don't write anything. So, so if I was more disciplined <laughs> and actually did write 2,000 every single day or even more, like I, I, you know, some of my peers do, uh, I could get even more out. And I hope to, you know, get up to that point. It's, you always have to be able to find that balance of I can write this fast, get X number of words a day done, provided that they're quality words, that the, the quality of the work doesn't suffer. I could easily write sure. two, three times what I'm doing now, but they would not be any good. Mm -hmm. Out of curiosity, you mentioned the quality of the words and the and, and the writing and the editing process. I see here yesterday you published your next cover, the Nathan K. A Spy for Eternity on, on your Facebook, and a heck of a lot of people uh, recognized it and gave it a thumbs up. How do you? What's the process of the covers? Do you have uh, an artist you work with? It, 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 how do you communicate what you want? Uh, I, I have several artists because, um, well, if I did them, they'd be stick figures, so mm -hmm. nobody would buy it. But um, it depends on the series. Uh, it will depend on who I'm using. I, I have a huge, over the years going to conventions, I would always go into the art gallery, anybody's art, I, or I go to comic book conventions, anybody's art I like, I take their card, mm -hmm. and I have cards of way more artists than I could ever possibly use. And um, and then I contact them and I pay them, and they, I, I've, from my background as a theater director, I've I've learned how to communicate to an artist. I'd have to communicate to scenic designers, lighting designers, costume designers, and I've learned how to communicate to them so that I let them do their job and yet get something that I'm hoping to get. And I, as I often explain to an artist, you know, here's I'm going to list to them the emotions I want, the colors I'm looking for, the genre, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And then I, I I say if I did if I do my job right, I will get something that's nothing like what I asked for, but is far better than I would have ever imagined. If that makes any sense, yeah, yeah, yeah it does. Make if sense. you get if you get exactly what you asked for from an artist, then you're not then you're not paying them to do their job. They're just drawing what you asked for. But they're the ones who've gone to art school. They know much better what's going to actually pop on the, the cover. So, sure. Um, yeah. So that's how I do it. And, You're pushing the envelope of their skills. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Great. And what about what about your characters? Where do they come from? Are they are they uh, family, relatives, siblings popping up? Uh, people that you've met, or are they just um, never directly a specific person? Um, I wouldn't do that to anybody. I think that's cruel in many ways. And, 
And sometimes, oftentimes when you do it, it's obvious. It, it becomes obvious because your plot starts to uh, tailor towards, you know, if you're being, there's classic examples uh, of short stories I, that I can think of. I can't think of the author's name right now where they, uh, they basically eviscerate an ex-girlfriend or something like that, you know, make her some ugly alien that's going to get killed or something like that. And it just doesn't play as right as if you were true to whatever the character is supposed to be. However, there are plenty of characters who are amalgamations of people where, uh, and in some cases where, um, for example, Max in the Max Porter series, uh, his mother is one of the characters and uh, originally she's just kind of a voice on the phone and eventually she joins Max in uh, North Carolina and she is she's partially just her own creation but many of of the things she says and does are taken from my grandmother's um, in some cases verbatim things they said to me but both those women have passed away long ago, so I don't feel bad about it. They're not going to read it and be embarrassed or anything. And uh, so that, that's about as close as I'll come to putting somebody in a book. Um, as far as where they come from, um, they're, I, they're always, I think, come from your life in, in some way. Everything comes from you as an, art, as an artist or an author. You're not going to, you can't make up something you don't have any experience with that. You wouldn't have a way to do it. So all my characters come from uh, uh, people I've met, people I've observed. I mean, but we and, all have an amalgam, I guess, of, of uh, different personalities and people. Yeah, and and it's not always conscious. Yeah. Uh, you're not always conscious of it either. It's it's uh, you know it's one of the skills you develop as a writer is ob observing people, listening to them. You know, when I'm in stuck in an airport man the things you'll hear if you just put down your phone and and just start listening to the way people talk to each other good and bad or you know or just observe their their uh, body language to each other and it's it's fascinating and and i i think all professional writers i've ever talked to on some level or another do that they observe people they listen to language for dialogue purposes and you just kind of sponge all that up, and then when you need to create a character, they come out that way. Hmm, great. Now you mentioned uh, your theater background, and and your, your, in your bio, you you, you clearly want to want to let people know, let fans know that you're uh, uh, you're a guitarist, your lead guitarist in a blues band. Uh, I'm curious, theater background, you're a musician. Have you thought about potentially? songs soundtracks for some of your work some of your uh <laughs> film the, the the film version of some of your work since you you know that that's uh, that you thought no about. i mean the guitar stuff um the guitar stuff was something i i picked up guitar when i was 15 and i've just been playing it ever since and it's it's a hobby uh i'm in a blues band our goal is to gig twice a month we're not in it for money or fame mm -hmm. it's just something we love to do it's fun um, as far as putting music to my writing, I, I've never really done that. I know there are other authors who create playlists of the music they listen to while they write, but I, I don't listen to music while I write it. It distracts me because then I start listening to the music. Um, the most I've come to is I, I did write, uh, I wrote a series called the bluesman, 
which is nine short stories and they all together make one full kind of novel. Hmm. And, and there I name check a lot of uh, my favorite blues musicians and that kind of thing. Um, but there's no music of mine in it. And uh, I, I will be uh, later in July, I'm going to be at congregate in high point uh, science fiction convention and this year they're they're doing a little they they're setting up a little cafe thing for people to just relax and eat and they're they asked me and some other people who are musicians to to come and play whatever we want either it can be filk and and that kind of thing or i'm going to go up and just play some blues and i'll have my copies of the bluesmen to sell so maybe that maybe that's as close as i can to commit it connecting the two i, I don't know that's great. Um, now, now I want to I want to backtrack to, to you said uh, you, you got in the guitar at fifteen, um, and uh, so that fifteen to twenty five age age range is when we you know teens become fans, deeper fans of of, of certain work. And and I'm wondering what what were you a a big fan of? What did you geek out to when you were in that age category? And what, what, were there authors? Were were there uh, uh, published works uh, of individuals, uh, you know, yeah. different, different genres. What, what, what did that look like? Were you deep? So in? I was oddly, I was not much of a reader growing up. Um, I read, but I was never big into it until uh, right around 12, 13, right around there. I had a friend uh, who was really big into Robert Heinlein. And so he got me into that. And I read Heinlein for, uh, years. And that was the only science fiction I ever read pretty much. Uh, I tried a couple other things, but I just, I was again, just not a big reader. And, and, uh, and then that kind of drifted away. Uh, I always loved science fiction as a genre, uh, films and TV and all that, you know, growing up with, of course, uh, star Wars, uh, sure. you know, I, I was, I'm one of those who got to actually watch it as it you know, when it first came out and all that kind of thing. So yeah, that just changes one of the few. <laughs> your life and, uh, uh, and all of that. So I had all that, but in, around my junior senior year of college, I had, uh, I was, my, my father was cleaning out the garage. I guess they were going to do a garage sale or something. And there's this big box of books and I'm looking through it and I stumble across uh, a book by John Steinbeck called Travels with Charlie, which is a nonfiction book. Uh, he traveled across the U.S. with his dog, Charlie, and it was uh, just his ruminations on that experience. And I don't know what provoked me to pick this up and start reading it, but I did, and I just fell in love with Steinbeck's writing. And became a huge Steinbeck fan and read as much as I could get my hands on, which then led me to discover that I actually loved literature, just not being for just not when I was forced to read it in class mm -hmm. because, because I was reading all these, I was reading grapes of wrath and East of Eden and all this yeah. on my own and loving it because the thing they never teach you in school is that literature those books are still at their core. They're stories that people were trying to sell. So, you know, there's a lot of action and, and really cool things going on in them. And you can absorb the deeper meaning at whatever level you want to absorb it at because you're not being forced to by a teacher. So I've, I, I then just went on a huge literature binge 
and started getting into Shakespeare and to uh, Steinbeck and, and Hemingway and Fitzgerald and all of them. And that lasted for uh, several years into college. Uh, and then I kind of, uh, oh, and then I fell up, uh, stumbled across the book Dune. And I was like, oh, you know, I've, I've always liked science fiction and then read that. And, and suddenly I realized, oh, there's great other great science fiction besides Heinlein. And then I spent the next bunch of years. To, ever since then, I've just, you know, I always have a book on me. I just read tons and tons and tons. Mm-hmm. Now, now, in terms of um, um, authors, in the last little while, perhaps, uh, um, as, as it's become harder to, you know, succeed just, just in writing, a, a lot of authors make themselves available to, to, to fans and whatnot. I'm wondering, did you, did you, did you ever uh, meet someone uh, uh, that, that you admired from afar up close? Uh, what would you have liked to have done with Steinbeck if, he, if, if you'd have met him? Uh, I'm not sure if I would have wanted to actually meet John Steinbeck because I've heard that he was very taciturn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could be wrong. You know, I, sometimes you don't want to meet those people. I have been fortunate uh, in that as a writer – I go to these conventions. I've gotten to meet many other writers, uh, people who I admire, and and um, get to meet them as human beings, as opposed to some you know person far off uh, on a dais, uh, you know, at a panel or something. I'm actually on there with them, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's been a, a, a one of the great privileges of what I do. And so I've gotten to uh, sit down with Terry Brooks and and chat with him and and uh you know share a drink or uh i was on a panel with brandon sanderson who is one of the nicest guys and and we talked a little bit afterwards and he was looking at one of my books and um that kind of thing so uh that's been a a a great experience i'd say the the one author i mean if there's an author or author right now that i'd absolutely love to sit down with and and in a informal setting so i could really just chat with the person would be Stephen King, which he was certainly one of my uh, other early um, uh, authors who just showed me how exciting books can be. And, and I, th- was, I think it was you who, who posted, um, I think it was on your Twitter or Facebook, that uh, a fan recently commented that you were one of the top three uh, of the, yeah. Of their yeah, that was really nice. <laughs> I, I had a fan write to me saying I was not, she had just ripped through a lot of the uh, Max Porter series and she was saying that she's now, I am her number three top uh, uh, writer, number one being J.K. Rowling and number two being Stephen King. I thought, well, hey, I'm happy to be number three in that list. That's fantastic. I think I think you've done well. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are, what are some of the, um, experiences, uh, conversations, interactions you've had with fans? Uh, you've been writing for how long now? Uh, getting close to 20 years, 20 years. So, so I, I'm sure you've met a, a, a good number of fans, uh, whether it be online or in, in person. What, what's been, what's been that experience to, to hear about your work and, and, how has it been for them in terms of maybe, uh, the, you know, the, 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 there, there is some, um, uh, however you want to call it, the nervous energy, excitement, joy from, from meeting someone you admire from afar. Do you have a story to share regarding, you know, an encounter? Well, yeah, I, I always love uh, meeting my fans and, and uh, interacting with them and letting them see I'm just a person. 
um, I did have, I'd say one of the, one of the early experiences I had, and I didn't really have a lot of fans until, uh, until the indie stuff started happening where I could really get my books out. I, occasionally in the short story days, I'd meet somebody who recognized my name, had read a short story and, Oh, I liked that. And okay. So that was nice. But once I started publishing my novels and I had, I had just started, I, I couldn't have been more than two or three books into uh, the Maya Chronicles, which is a six book series and it's done. And it's a post-apocalyptic fantasy where magic caused the apocalypse. It's, uh, it's kind of, I often say it's like Xena meets Mad Max. So it's kind of a very dark, violent world. And I, one day I'm at a convention and selling my books and this woman who had bought the book, the first book, uh, maybe even a year before at the other, at the same convention came up to me and, and she said, I want to thank you for writing that book. She said, I had, I, and she went on to tell me some, you know, terrible things that have happened in her life over the last year. She had a, just a, you know, just the hits kept coming on her. And, and she said, but my book really helped her get through it. And I'm thinking, how could this book of, I mean, this book is just action packed. This, you know, uh, Malia, this woman warrior going through just killing monsters and, and bad guys and, and dealing with the post-apocalypse. Um, but she said, every time I, my life seemed really dark, I'd read more of Ma what Malia is going through. And I thought, at least I don't have to go through that. Hmm. <laughs> and that cracked me up. And I, and it, but it, it, it also kind of really touched me because it made me realize that this, these things I write, which, which can be very pulpy at times, I, which I thoroughly embrace. I love that aspect of it, but, but for some people, it will really hit them in a way that I may not expect. And, and that's wonderful. I mean, that's what's, that's the great thing about all art forms is you create something, you put it out there and then the audience, if they react to it, it's always on their personal level. Mm -hmm. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you're in good company with J.K. Rowling and Stephen King, two two authors that um, millions of fans uh, go to that are work for to escape to 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 go to a place that they can't find elsewhere to be taken, um, and and it sounds like this particular fan experienced something very similar, and 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 whether they're going through worse or or they're dealing with. Um, you know, some challenges in, in, in their, in their life. Um, is, isn't this, um, fundamentally sort of about escaping to, to a place that makes you feel, um, better? I, I think so to some extent. Um, it depends on what you're reading. Mm -hmm. What I write, I think there's always uh, an aspect of escapism to it. Um, adventure action, the same reason we go see those kinds of movies. Sure. Um, but I, I do write, I, I don't just write on a surface level. I mean, you're welcome to come buy my books and read them on the surface level. You'll get a good story. It's fun, exciting, but I, I do subscribe to the, uh, Buffy, the vampire slayer approach where, you know, on the one level you have action, humor, whatever you're going for, but there is something deeper to it if you want to look for it. And, and, uh, you know, I put, I put, you know, my heart and soul into the things I write and hopefully for that connects with people. It seems to be, a, a, you know, there are people who really pick up on 
uh, especially the longer series where they can really revisit these characters and get to know them. Um, I'm start, I get more and more reactions from readers now uh, that the series, uh, especially like the Max Porter series being 10 books long, they really get into these characters, which has been exciting. Uh, but it's also scary because uh, you, you mentioned, I just had Southern flames come out uh, a month or so ago. And when I was putting it out, I, it was probably the scariest, the most frightened I've been putting out a new book because I'm thinking, well, I've already done nine of these. Can I really do it again? And 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 will they keep wanting it? I, you know, is am I am I living up to the previous books? Because I don't want it to, I don't want the quality to drop and the story to drop. And and of course, I have to keep doing. It's the nature of being a writer that you create characters you like, and then you do horrible things to them because mm-hmm. nobody wants to see a story where everything's happy all the time. Then this is boring. And so I have to do horrible things to characters that I know people are falling more and more in love with. And that's hard. And I, I, I've ha- I was having this conversation with my wife recently saying, what do you think if, if I kill off so-and-so, do you think they'll, people will revolt against me if I do that? And how far can, you know, who can die and who can't and that kind of thing. It's, it's, I'm I'm getting into new territories that I've not been in before in my writing, and it's exciting but scary at the same time. Sure. Now, now uh, you mentioned you enjoy meeting fans, and and I'm wondering when you when you meet a fan and you're face to face, and you know there's all sorts of ways to meet fans today with the online. What what is it about face to face and the eye contact and seeing uh, seeing the the interaction happen in 3D that um, is different, right? Because you're interested in, in, in enhancing this experience with fans in right. gatherings. What, what is it about the the eye contact and this this almost like a campfire feel, sitting around and uh, and um, um, commiserating about something that that is meaningful to both sides? Yeah. Um, well, there's a couple ways I can think that uh, that I can answer that. One is is just within the realm of writing, there is the fact that both as an artist and as a reader, that connection happen is a, there's a lot of distance. I write a book, I put it out. And even in today's, you know, ebook world there, it can be months and months till you really get a sense of whether people even like the book. I will know right I mean I I have my diehard fans who are going to read the book in the first week it's out and they'll write back to me and tell me whether they they like it or not but um but the other fans you know and some of them you never hear from of course so so I'm creating this art and I have no idea how people are reacting to it as opposed to being a musician when I go up and play a gig we create, you know, we write a song, we play the song, and I can see the people, whether their heads are bopping, whether they're on the floor dancing, or whether they're walking out the door. Mm-hmm. I get an instant, I can instantly see that. And there's that live feeding of energy that happens. Well, that doesn't really happen when you write a book. You write it at your home in isolation, you send it out, and people read it in isolation. It's it's a very different thing. So for a writer to be, go to a convention or hopefully as Warple grows to go do, do these, these special unique events, you can get that live interaction. Even if you're not talking about the books, you're just talking about whatever that, that makes that, that, that kind of creates that circle 
of energy that is, I think, necessary to any artistic creation. And uh, so that's what I, I think is very exciting about it. You get to see them, uh, see their eyes, see their their excitement and, and their smiles and know as an author, I get to know I really am having this impact on these people. They really do care. And, and so now, I mean, when I write books, because I do get fan mail, I know they're out there. Mm-hmm. When I'm working on the book I'm working on now, I know there are people out there who are waiting for this book to come out. And that's feeds into me as well as an exciting. And as a reader, you know, to, when you get to meet an author, uh, you get to see them. I said this before, you get to see them as a human being. You get to hear their voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, authors who I've met and spent time talking to when I read their books, I hear their voice, their mm-hmm. actual voice. Cause I've spoken to them. I know how they sound mm-hmm. and that changes things. And, uh, I, I, so I think there's that aspect of it too. I, and I think there's an aspect there's a, a very human thing that we all have, and I don't know why we're this way, but all humans tend to want to kind of own a piece of the artist in a way. I mean, it's why it's one of probably many reasons, but it's one reason why, like when uh, you know a big rock star is walking to the his his or her limo, and it, the crowds just clam in, come in, and they try to rip pieces of the guy's shirt mm-hmm. you know it's not that they're trying necessarily to see the guy's chest they want to own that piece of shirt they want to you know they covet that autographs there's another example we you just want a piece of that to kind of make it more real i guess yeah, i don't know how i don't well, know how to explain it any better i just know we all feel it so. yeah, we, we've, we've interviewed a lot of fans and and it comes up and it's this conversation comes up a lot and they've said that well they don't know until we tell them, and we often don't have the opportunity to tell them what a huge difference they made at a time in our life when stuff wasn't working and this was, this this work worked for them and it, it got them out of mm-hmm. a, a situation. And, and sometimes, oftentimes the, the creator, the, the author does not know that until uh, until and unless there is a, there is a sharing of, of the story. So, um, it, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, I think the other thing you mentioned was you're, 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 you get some ideas from your wife in terms of who should stay and who should go. And, and you know, one of the things we've learned is, is fans, these types of fans, you know, they often have remarkable insights uh, about, about somebody's work that maybe, you know, possibly there might be some ideas that come from, from the fans themselves because they're so deeply uh, involved. Um, but I, I think you've, you've, you've outlined sort of quite a range of, um, benefits and, and emotional triggers, both for yourself and for the fan, you know, just the concept of mm-hmm. gathering together and, and um, chatting uh, w- with, with the understanding that everyone has kind of this shared interest that that's coming together right. for a short time. So even, even if we don't understand why we want to do it, we want to do it. It's fun. <laughs> you know, at the, at the very basic level, it's just fun. Yeah, and it's hard to find people who who are uh, into someone and into something uh, with the same degree until one of these things happens, which is why conventions um, historically uh, are, are why we come together because it's where else are you going to go type thing. Right. Um, one last question: um, You're one of the few uh, people that I've talked to, the the authors and creators out there who who, who lives in rural North Carolina, a rural part of uh, the U.S. and and I'm curious, what is the what does the animal list look like today? 
uh it's it's starting to get a little smaller um we're, we're not as crazy as we used to be but right now uh what do we have we have two cats a dog um nine chickens a horse um might be it we used to, oh well we have i'm sorry we have three aquatic turtles and uh, assorted fish but our snake and our spider and a lot of things we used to have have just through you know getting old they've they've yeah. passed on and we've not replaced them uh because we're getting older and and it's a lot of work <laughs> and it's just the the two of you that, that maintain this uh, mini farm animal farm. yeah yeah it's 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 um wow. it's my wife's thing she always wanted to have a horse she wanted to have a little hobby farm i'm a writer i can go anywhere so i'm like okay yeah. <laughs> we'll do that and i enjoy i've learned to enjoy it and and uh certainly enjoy fresh eggs and things like that but uh right um that's pretty much i think i'm trying to think what other animals we have going on i mean there are plenty of animals that we don't intend to have there are snakes and, <laughs> and yeah. deer and things like that but uh, uh those are not you know domesticated pets well Stuart, uh, this has been great uh, thank you very much for sharing i'm sure your fans and and new fans that that, that hear about this uh this podcast and this story your story um will learn about your work uh, and and start getting into some of your series well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Warplecast. If you'd like to look into tickets to meet Stuart Jaffe or any of the other creators using Warple, you can find them by visiting warple.com or by following the link below. <laughs>